0: The average human is aware of so much more change than ever before, and our brains aren't hardwired to be able to absorb and appropriately responsibly react and respond to that much change.
1: Welcome to the Amplifying Cognition Podcast, formerly the Thriving on Overload Podcast. I am Ross Dawson, a futurist and entrepreneur fascinated by the unlimited potential of the human mind. Each week I speak to incredible people who are working on how we can get to next level thinking, sense making and decision making so we can keep ahead in an accelerating world. My guests share how they amplify their productivity, the success of organizations and the potential of humanity by using an array of technologies including AI, innovative processes and sometimes simple everyday practices. I do this podcast to learn. I learn so much from every guest I speak to, and I'm sure you will too. If you are intent on amplifying your cognition, simply go to amplifyingcognition.com to access a trove of useful resources, including the Humans Plus AI Learning Community, resources and downloads from my book, Thriving on Overload, the Thought Weaver app, which allows you to interface more effectively with AI, transcripts from all of our podcast episodes, and far more. That's amplifyingcognition.com. If you enjoy this episode, please subscribe to hear more and help others to find the podcast by liking or sharing. It makes a massive difference, so thank you. April Renee. April is a futurist, speaker, microfinance lawyer, investor, and advisor to well-known companies, financial institutions, and nonprofits around the world. She is the author of Flux, Eight Superpowers for Thriving in Constant Change, which has been translated into seven languages, with uh, more coming soon. Her work has been featured in major publications worldwide, including Harvard Business Review, Wired, Fast Company, and CNBC. You can find more on her work at aprilrene.com. that's A-P-R-I-L-R-I-N-N-E, or at fluxmindset.com. In this episode, April shares insights on superpowers for thriving in a world of flux, relearning our scripts, seeing opportunities, prioritizing humanity, and benefiting from unique brain patterns. Keep listening to learn from this wonderful conversation with April. April, it's a true delight to have you on the show.
0: Thank you, Ross. I'm glad to be here.
1: So there's so many uh, parallels uh, between our work, and so just to, for example, taking the title of your uh, best-selling book, uh, "Flux: Eight Superpowers for Thriving in Constant Change." I mean, that's a pretty strong echo to my work. And, and so, as I understand, the core of your work is helping leaders through rapid change and deep uncertainty. So. How do you do that? How do you work with people to to make sense of a, a world which is very hard to make sense of?
0: Sure. Well, in terms of the how I do it, I do a lot of speaking and workshops and that sort of thing. But zooming out to like, what is the crux, the essence of my work? It is very much that in a world of ongoing, relentless change, which is different than one change, this sense of change after change after change after change. That challenges a lot of what we've been taught, what many people have been taught about how the world works and our metrics and norms and expectations and what we do and don't control and all of these sorts of things. And so my a lot of my work involves helping people, leaders and organizations see where the world is heading and how we fit into it. But unlearning and relearning a lot of these norms, what I call scripts, these mental models, these feedback loops in our mind that aren't helping us very much today, but in order to get to where to be sort of fit for the future, but fit for a future in flux, where we need to be. And so we can dive into how that happens and what these superpowers are and so forth. But that's really the crux of it is this notion that so much of what we were taught, and I say we collectively, I I don't mean to generalize and I don't wish to speak for anyone else, but that. You know, there is a little bit of, on the whole, humans are having a rough time with change and particularly uncertainty and the change we don't control. And so, this idea that, like, so much of how we've been taught about how the world works doesn't align with the world as it is and certainly not with the future as it's unfolding.
1: So, you used a a very interesting word there scripts. So, mental models, I'm very familiar with. uh, Mm -hmm. And I'm intrigued by the phrase scripts and what that means and how we use scripts or how we can uh, change those scripts.
0: Yeah. So I think of scripts as the kind of narratives, the narratives that are running in your mind, conscious or unconscious, and many of them are unconscious or subconscious, and we all have them. And often we absorb them without realizing it. These are the things we're taught about how the world works and what our role is in it. And you have a script. I have a script. Everyone has a script. There's not one that's better or worse. They're just different. And that's based on where we're born and into what kind of family and in what culture and at what time and, and all these different things. And your script is beautiful. And mine is too. And everyone's script has taught them some things that are not particularly helpful when it comes to change and uncertainty. And I shouldn't necessarily say unhelpful. We can also think of this as Every one of us, we're trying to react and respond to change, to uncertainty, to unknowns. And when change hits, each and every one of us reacts based on the cultural silo within which we live, the scripts, the narratives that we have. That makes sense. That's kind of what a human would naturally do. But the challenge is that we're all operating with very limited information. And so understanding what is your script? What are some of these narratives? And again, it can be about issues around control or around trust or around success or around um, prestige or around vulnerability. I mean, there are all these different themes that we can dig into in terms of your script. But when change hits, a lot of them get really challenged and we realize that they're not all... um, Not just equally helpful; they're not equally uh, valid for the world that we live in today.
1: So it strikes me that to uncover and hopefully improve our scripts, probably guided self-reflection is the hard. I mean, it's hard to do this on your own, so requires some kind of relationship or at least some guiding as to how you can, you know, have see yourself and uh, how that can change.
0: Yeah, and in the book Influx, in the intro, I go through examples of what these scripts are and, and a series of reflective questions around, again, not right or wrong, not good or bad. Just take a moment and think about where does your relationship to change, where did it begin? your feelings about change? And what I mean by that is like, were you taught to fear change or to get excited about it? Was uncertainty an adventure or, you know, an adventure for your curiosity or was it something dangerous? These are very subtle things you you and I and most people we don't spend a lot of time talking about them we often haven't thought about them in that way and so you do start with level setting and being like where am i right now and i think of it as a kind of flux baseline um it very much begins though with building your own self awareness and self awareness in a non-judgmental way that sense of everyone is dealing with different kinds of change and uncertainty. And I will not profess to know what you're struggling with or what another person's struggling with. I will just say, I know that there are issues, changes and factors of uncertainty in your life that you, probably wish weren't there (laughs) you know that where you're like i could level up here and so we start from that point of view and say where are you now and how can we start developing the superpowers the habits the practices that allow you to improve a little bit every day how you not what you not just what you do about change and uncertainty but how you show up for it from the inside out
1: So, so i i I would say I get excited about change. Is, is there yeah. any uh downsides to that? I mean, well, I mean, that's obviously pretty crude, you know, whether whether you're afraid or excited about change, it's just that's just one dimension and it's a lot richer than that. But yes. should we all be getting excited about change? Is that where we want to get to?
0: No, and I love that you kind of walked into where I wanted to take the conversation. So thank you for that, which is this word change and you're spot on because i hear from people pretty much every day someone will say yeah i'm struggling with change x y or z and i will also hear from people saying i love change i thrive on change i'm a change junkie like bring it on and i in those cases i always go like hold on a minute because what we're really getting at is that our knowledge of the word change and how we think about change, it's one word. So we often think about it like it's one thing, it's all the same. But the reality is that change is really messy. It's complicated, it's confusing, it's rich, and it's deep. And the easiest way that I can summarize is that on the whole, and again, not to speak for others, but like overall, humans love change we opt into. Change we have some agency or control over, right? So a new job, a new relationship, a new trip, a new car, a new haircut. Those are all changes, right? We love those because we picked them. The changes we're I'm talking about and really at the essence, the heart of flocks, those changes we don't control. The changes that blindside you, that whipsaw you, that flip your expectations and plans upside down, the ones, the change that you're like, I just wish that would go away. I wish it had never happened. That's the kind of change that I'm, frankly, I'm still looking for the human that likes, that was like, bring it on. I want more of that. You do find people who are much better. They are they have, a, well, we'll get to this in a little bit. They have the mindset that's much more grooved to like, even a change that I didn't want to have happen. It happens and I can, I can make my way through it. I can see the upside. I can see the hidden opportunity, possibility, whatever. There are people who are further along on that spectrum, but on the whole, humans have a really hard time. We resist that kind of change. We wish it hadn't happened. Um, it it creates fear and anxiety and so forth. And so just that simple point of like, change is so much more than one thing. And I'm not worried about the changes we pick. That's, those yeah. are all upside, right? <laughs> it's the changes and the uncertainty and really, all of the changes that we don't control have an element of uncertainty. And that's what for a lot of people, there's a kind of um, not unwinding, but like there's this, this not so fun spiral downward that we can take ourselves on because we start to catastrophize, we start to double um, second guess, we start to worry and so forth.
1: So I, th- I think it's pretty safe to say that in the 2020s, we have a pretty decent face of change. And it doesn't seem to be uh, reducing, so yeah, you know, some people have, you know, been readier for this in terms of their mindset or way of framing things. So, where, so where are we today? So, twenty twenty three, middle of twenty twenty three, we're third of the way through the decade, and where things that don't look like they're slowing down. So, as leaders. What what are those scripts or mental models or frames or how is it that we need to be ready for? You know, I I think it's going to get pretty wild from here.
0: Yeah. Let me sort of zoom out real quick before we zoom in specifically to the pace of change. But the way I like to phrase this and, you know, I've been doing this work for nearly 25 years in a bunch of different ways, right? And it's not like I knew 25 years ago that I would write a book called Flux. That wasn't it. But if I look back and say, when did I begin pulling on these strings of what do we do when we don't know what to do? And why do we behave as we do around uncertainty? And why is it so hard? It goes back quite a long way. And I've been concerned, you could say, about this increasing pace of change and the and how fast everyone felt like they needed to go for quite a long time. And then 2020 arrived. And, you know, that notion of flux, it was like, Oh, right, yes, we could use some help with that. And so I do feel like a lot of people have had a bit of a wake up in the last three years of just, you know, how little we control how much change is underway. And the framing I like to put on it And, you know, we'll keep talking and you know that I'm I'm fundamentally an optimist, not naive optimist, but like I see a huge opportunity ahead. That said, I do have to frame it as the future looks more like the last three years than what came before it. And I don't mean a pandemic and I don't mean war and I don't mean inflation and I don't mean any particular kind of change, but this sense of constant, relentless, like by the time I've reacted to one thing, 10 other things have happened. Like there's more of that ahead, not less. And we're really not that prepared for it individually, collectively. And so, again, you can look at that as, oh, no, now what? Or you can say, hmm big opportunity for the people who could actually wrap their minds, their mindsets, their business models, et cetera, around that new way of being and working and living and and showing up. And so that's kind of where I come at, like every day that passes, this is going to be more, not less important that we start to learn. And then when it comes to the pace of change, and you've probably heard some variation of this before, and and I'm sure you phrase it, it, you know, you have your own way of saying this, but I I like to say that, you know, the pace of change, it's never been as fast as it is today, and yet it is likely to never again be this slow. And what's fascinating, I bet you and I could debate all day, like, is there actually more change today than there was 100 years ago? It's like, we don't know. Um, there was a lot of change back then. There's always been a lot of change. But what is clear is that the average human is aware of so much more change than ever before. And our brains aren't hardwired to be able to absorb and appropriately responsibly react and respond to that much change. And so there, if we think about, we're already struggling with the pace of change today, and yet it's likely that tomorrow, next week, next month, next year, like play this out as long as you want, that pace is going to quicken then we have a lot of work to do and what I call learning how to run slower. It's that sense of, and it's a bit of a paradox and it's a bit counterintuitive, but in a world where the pace of change is increasing externally, all the forces that are hitting us, we need to learn how to internally regulate our pace, slow down our pace so that we actually not only can minimize burnout and anxiety and fatigue and all the rest, but also so that we can make better decisions so that we can minimize the number of foolish mistakes that we make so that we can see the full picture and what really matters and so forth. So that's one element of, of um, not just the work that I do, but my my perspective on this.
1: Well, I've, I've been observing lately that um, it was 1970 that Alvin Toffler uh, published uh, Future Shock. And I think he was very prescient in that, in fact, for 50 years after that, we actually did pretty well at dealing with the pace of change. But I think that uh, some, you know, 50 odd years later after his book came out, we are in a state of future shock where it is difficult. It is challenging to, um, and we, we I think more people are experiencing what Toffler described in 1970 as, in a way, getting, going into a state of shock through the the pace of change, which um, is pretty radical, and you know I think it's, it's we're starting to see that there is a bit of a divide between those that are embracing this change and those that are uh, not not responding uh, not responding in a the most constructive way.
0: yeah, and I think you and I could probably discuss slash debate for quite some time, even the notion of exponential change. For example, singularity, all of that. And I'm a San Francisco native, so I've spent more than my fair share of time around the land of singularity. And I say this respectfully. That sense that, oh, we're just gonna keep change is gonna continue, change and disruption, exponential. Wow. You know, and then you look at this and you go, the human brain cannot process. A human brain that attempts to process exponential change will collapse. And that, you know, literally, figuratively, but like we have to be really careful and responsible. About the limits, the the degree to which we want to, hooray, you know, everything's exponential, everything's amazing, it's going to be ten x what it was last year and next year, and and that's not how humans were designed or were or or have been shown to thrive, right? And so this tension between how much we're pushing technology forward and how much we're we are or aren't prioritizing humanity. And I think that, you know, the arrival, not arrival, it's been around for a while, but that sense of the real, oh my goodness moment that we've had recently around generative AI is showing that, that sense of great. So we've got AI that may make 10x more content or a thousand X more, whatever. And you're going, but wait a minute, is that actually going to improve my humanity? Is that going to make me better able to connect with other people? Is that going to make me feel less anxious? And if I know, you know, there's a tension there. And so, you know, I'm, I'm very much trying to fight on behalf of humanity, (laughs) not fight, but advocate on the side of humanity. But I do think that there is a, there is a, a threshold above which our societal script. So again, back to narratives, this is a great example of where on the whole, the script that society has taught many of us is that when the pace of change quickens, you're supposed to run faster and just keep up. And then you play that out. And I play this out as a futurist. I play this out as a human. And I'm like, hang on, we're already, a lot of people are already running as fast as they think they can today. They're exhausted. And you're saying we're supposed to just keep running faster and faster and faster and faster. Like, That's just not a recipe for anyone to thrive. And so I'm trying to, again, begin a different kind of conversation, catalyze a different way of seeing and thinking within organizations and frankly, within the world for life itself.
1: Very quick break to point you to amplifyingcognition.com. You'll find a stack of resources to help you get to next level thinking, sense making and decision making, including the humans plus AI learning community with extensive courses and events, free downloads from my book, Thriving on Overload, the Thoughtweaver app to achieve more with AI, productivity programs for individuals and companies and far more. And back to the show. Uh, So I'd love to dig into your your. Thinking and experience and cognition. so what what are some of the distinctive you know traits or approaches or ways of thinking that you have that uh, help you in uh in a world of uh, extraordinary change?
0: So my own tools for cognition, uh, on the one hand, we can look to flux and these eight superpowers and any of those we can dive into. But I was also thinking uh, in the lead up to this conversation, like, what are the ways in which my brain works that might be unique or different or, you know, not something I take for granted that others might not? And one thing that came to mind, um, and I shared this with you just briefly, but that for the last 40, uh, no, not four, sorry, 25 plus years, um, I have, I have arranged information according to dates, not names or faces or visuals, but a calendar. My, my husband calls this my calendar brain. And this is an interesting way to kind of tee up a couple different themes that we haven't surfaced yet. Uh, people often ask me like, how did I get interested in this world in flux and uncertainty? And what do you do when you don't know what to do? And um, as you know, my entry into this world of like my life flipping upside down happened when I was 20. I was at university and both of my parents died in a car crash. And I know that's a difficult topic to just insert in our conversation to be really clear. Like, I love talking about this. It's a point of human connection. Um, It was a long time ago. It's very bittersweet, but I find that my ability to share with others makes it easier for others to be like, oh, okay, I'm not so alone. But when I was 20, my life was total flux. Like everything changed. My family my sense of self, how i saw the future, my sense of mortality, all of that. And what i've learned in the time since is from that day forward, i had a very clear sense of the fragility of life, of the gift of being alive, of the beauty of every moment, the magic of every moment, and again, good bad or otherwise, just to be alive was made me really lucky. And my brain subconsciously started etching That ability, that, that, that sense of time, that sense and not, well, it's interesting. It's both chronos, the sort of Greek, the, the sense of in the moment time, and also this, the concept of kairos, which is sort of the right time, the opportune time. It's not, it's, it's a more abstract concept. But I had a real clear sense of just how lucky I was, like to be in this moment in time. And also, I do think I had a bit of a sense that I didn't have long to live. Like, my parents had died out of the blue. That was a huge loss and a huge, like, messed with my brain in so many ways that it also led me to believe that I didn't have long to live either. And like, anyone I loved was going to be gone soon too. And, and it gave this sense of essentialism, this sense of like, what really matters And what's fascinating is if you give me a date, anytime in the last 25 years, pick a month, pick almost like a week, I can tell you where I was. I can tell you who I was with and not just me. I can if we were together, I can tell you what we were doing and so forth. And it's turned out to be a really helpful scaffolding for how I organize information and experience and all the rest. Um, And it's also been I've learned um, something that's helpful to share with others. So,
1: so that's in case the past. So you've got this calendar of the past. Do you, is that calendar is it- extended to the future? As in, you you know dates you'll be doing things over the next months or years.
0: So, if to the extent that they're on my calendar, yes, I can tell you. Like I've got a talk booked in month X Y Z or a trip planned, things like that. Um, I would say, you know, obviously sometimes those things you can't plan. Things get planned last minute so on and so forth i don't have control over that um what i would say though and again this it's not like this calendar brain doesn't have its foibles or its challenges either um if you were to talk to my husband he would say that sometimes i'm like too much of a planner like that sense of i can etch things and i would look at you know being a planner has major benefits It also, you can't let it get in your, in your way of being flexible and spontaneous and all the rest. And so I look at this, I think, as so many tools for cognition, that sense of it can be used as a strength when you also know what its limits are and when you want to let go of it. And so for me, I've had to learn how to be more spontaneous. I've had to learn how to be more, um, I can be in the moment, but like, not planning things, just letting things unfold. Um, so it does, I mean, it's been quite helpful as a futurist when you're doing forecasting work. For me to figure out dates is super easy because that's how my brain thinks, <laughs> you know? Um, but it does have its limits.
1: So are you a judger on the Myers Briggs?
0: Yeah, um, moderate. Moderate. Right. Yes. Yes.
1: Because there's an interesting correlation. So, judger perceiver essentially is where judger is somebody that sort of sees time. As a line, perceiver is just in the moment and they don't know, oh, gosh, I've got to supposed to be somewhere. And what some other people have characterized as in time and through time, you exactly. know, where you're actually sort of in the moment as opposed to sort of having that landscape of time across you. And so, and as you suggest, I mean, there can be, you know, part of the positive is you can plan and structure, but the, there's a potential risk of it taking you away from the the moment in which you are.
0: Correct. And when I say moderate, I guess that's the right word, Um, but this sense of a very clear sense of time. But the funny thing is about the perception. And when I talk about like what I do, so much of it is about how we see and helping people in organizations see differently. And so I'm constantly experimenting, iterating like that, that idea of perception. And I, I will totally geek out on just the concept of time. And that sense of stretching it and expanding it and collapsing it. And and so I think when I say moderate, it's like I'm not rigid about this must happen then. What I like is that I do think of it more as a scaffolding upon which I can hang a bunch of different things. And I can hang those things. I can put them up and I can take them down and I can move them around. But I have like a structure. But how I put things on that structure I've tried to be very like deliberately quite creative and not too dogmatic and to just let, you know, and a, a great example is like planning a trip, right? You have the scaffolding. You kind of want to know when you're going to arrive and depart sort of important if you have to be on a plane or something, but within that create all different kinds of itineraries and allow for just time when you don't know what's going to happen and don't overbook or over plan. Like it's that sort of thing where, you know, I've, I've tempered my, um, my judger a little bit, a little bit, you could say. so
1: so of course, the Myers- Briggs is based on Carl Jung's psychological types, and I was somebody said once to me that Carl Jung uh, said that, in fact, the issue is not where we are on these dimensions of these psychological types, but our ability to have flexibility along that spectrum. so i've gone gone into his his work, and I've never found the original quote which substantiated it, but I mean, I just so believe in that where the, th- the thing is that, you know if we can be both judger and perceiver and intuitor and censor and you know we we can have, live along that spectrum and adjust and be what is most relevant for that time that that's the 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 most sane we can be
0: oh, i love that you bring this up because i think it applies so much so broadly to life itself um i was having a conversation earlier today totally i mean still related to flux but different um a different theme entirely. And that was, I spend a lot of time looking at how different cultures around the world look at change and wisdom traditions. And, you know, and the question was, how do dif- what are the, some of the differences between d- between cultures? Like, are there big ones? And one of them that came up, for example, is how we see and respond to change is very heavily influenced by whether we live in an individualist culture or a collectivist culture. Right. And for a lot of people, they think of the West as individualist and the East as um, the West as individualist and the East as collectivist. Now, let's be clear, like there are individualist cultures everywhere in the world and collectivist cultures. You can live in an individualist country, but you yet live in a collectivist community. So just it's, it's more fluid than we think. But what was lovely is that when it comes to how we navigate change, there are certain kinds of change. Or one or the other of those approaches is going to work better. And we can talk about that. It's not better or worse. They're, they're just different. And there's me versus we. And there's are we are we trying to react to an emergency or are we trying to set public policy? Different changes. But, you know, and the point that came up, though, is exactly what you're saying, which is it's not about, oh, we want to be individualist or collectivist. And this is where we're hanging our hat. It's the awareness and sensitivity to the benefits of both approaches and to know which one in which circumstances is which one likely to yield a better result. But you want to have both of those muscles. And I think about it as like you have a left arm and a right arm, like you want both arms to be strong. You need to strengthen both of those mental muscles as well.
1: And so how do we nurture that behavioral or cognitive flexibility?
0: Well, the first the first piece which we've already talked about quite a bit is just developing a basic awareness of where you are and where you are in terms of the kinds of changes you have difficulty with the kinds of uncertainty and here we can think about this personally professionally organizationally societally like there are so many layers of uncertainty right now start with one that's top of mind and like where are you what is struggling what are you struggling with and you start to uncover where does this anxiety or this fear or this concern about this kind of anxiety, where does it come from? And it's fascinating because oftentimes, let's just say there's a relationship in your life that you're concerned about. It could be a working relationship with a colleague. It could be something in your personal life and you don't know what to do about it. You need to get out of this relationship or you don't feel like you're able to show up fully, whatever the case may be. And you start unwinding, well, why is, make, why is this so difficult? Peeling back those layers. And a lot of times, this is just one example, what you get to is a fear of being alone. Interesting. Where does that come from? And you go back and back and back, and not to, not to get too much into therapy. I mean, that's not what this is designed to, but better self-awareness of what makes you tick and what trips you up when uncertainty hits. You start getting into like, what are these scripts? What are these narratives? And then usually, and not to go too far down any particular rabbit hole, but I have designed, in the case of my work, these eight superpowers. Each one of them focuses on a different theme, a macro meta theme around uncertainty. So one is pace, the pace of change, which we talked about briefly. Another one is around control. Another one is around um, trust. Another one is around our comfort or lack of comfort with the unknown, just comfort zones. Um, another one is around our obsession with more living in a, in a hyper consumer economy and more, 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 and feelings of self-worth. So I share this because when you, you start to look at what is the kind of change I'm struggling with, where, what's the, what's the theme that's at the essence of it. And then I would direct you to one or more of the superpowers to start digging deeper.
1: Fantastic. So thank you so much for your insights, April. So where can people find out more about your work?
0: sure well it's a pleasure thank you so much um for the all things flux and book and superpowers and all of that uh, the website is fluxmindset.com and for anything that's about me it's april Rennie, and that's r i n n e so aprilrinney.com uh i'm the only person with my name as far as i know so i'm pretty easy to find and those two websites uh, you should find what you're looking for and i'd love to hear from anyone who's interested in learning more.
1: Thank you so much, April.
0: Pleasure. Thanks, Ross.
1: Thank you for listening to the show. If you really want to amplify your cognition, go to amplifyingcognition.com, where you can access a trove of useful resources to make your mind better and more effective than ever before. If you liked this episode, please do help us be found by giving us a rating or review, and subscribe if you want to hear more of this. Thank you for listening and have a wonderful day.